Welcome to the UP Tech Talk podcast, coming to you from the new Academic Multimedia Studio on the University of Portland campus, produced by Academic Technology Services, with your hosts, Maria Erb and Sam Williams. Thank you for joining us for the UP Tech Talk podcast. We have with us today Dr. Ellen Arwood, professor in the School of Education. Thank you, Dr. Arwood, for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Sam. Ellen, thanks so much for making the trek over to Tyson today on this rainy day. And we're just so excited to talk to you about the new certificate in neuroeducation that, that we're developing together. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the courses in that program? Yes. Um, it's a post-master's program for neuroeducation. And the courses um, are based around a philosophy that has to do with how we translate neuroscience into educational applications. And most programs um, t- translate that neuroscience into education applications without thinking about the cognition that humans use, that uh, mouse models and mollusk models and Drosophila models don't use. And they don't think about the language piece, how we assign language. So for example, um, there's a whole bunch of neuroscience um, experiments that have been done recently where they have uh, the mouse model basically swimming around in a big vat of of water and the mouse is supposed to find a platform and it's supposed to check to see how mice brains basically think in terms of memory. The problem with that is that the mouse may return to the platform but we really cognitively and language-wise don't know why because to say that the mouse was anxious that mouse can't be anxious he doesn't have language and to say that he was frustrated or that his brain was stressed, we could say neurologically we can see the signs of stress physically, but we don't know if that's how he felt because he doesn't have the language or the cognition part and that part of the brain is missing. So a lot of the neuroscience that's being interpreted and translated into education tends to forget that a lot of that material is not coming from human being research. So, but we have this whole body of literature in cognitive psych about memory, attention, mind, that kind of thing. And we have this whole whole realm of literature and language that dates way, way back even to the 1800s about how it is that we use language to name our thinking. So what our program has done is taken and triangulated the three areas of literature, the neuroscience, the the cognitive psych, and the language, so that neuroscience is basically how it is we learn. Cognitive psych is what we think about our learning. And then, of course, the language is how we name the learning. And by putting the three together, we've been able to come up with some really fabulous um, applications that are extremely effective out in the field, out in the schools and K through 12 education. And what are some of the courses in the, courses? In the certificate okay. program? Okay, yeah, yeah, you asked that, and I kind of went <laughs> off on the other side because I had to kind of explain why. Yeah. So the courses are neuroscience and learning because we have to have that piece of it. The cognitive psych piece, which is another course. Then we have a course that basically has to do with disabilities. It has to do with the way that we apply the neuroscience and the cognitive psych to things like Alzheimer's and ADHD and children with autism and with Down syndrome and a whole bunch of different types of problems that might go wrong with the brain, either environmentally or genetically. And then we have a course that talks about the social cultural pieces of language that affect the way in which we interpret that data. So we basically have four courses in the certificate and we have three that are very specific to those three areas I've described and we have a fourth one that's about the applications. 
And you said uh, K-12 is, is a Well, form. we do K-12, but the principles of learning actually apply. Um, they're more than philosophical. They're actually neurological, so they actually apply to adults. And when we do the disabilities course, we actually talk a whole lot about um, different types of problems that occur with the brain as we age. And who do you feel the audience will be primarily for the certificate program? Well, um, so far, the audience has been on campus, and then I know we're taking this off campus in terms of banking it online, but um, it includes administrators, special educators, educators, um, we've had social workers, we've had um, speech-language pathologists, we've had um, occupational therapists, we've had a lot of people that are interested in the brain and interested in serving people that have issues regarding learning. Um, as it relates to the brain. So they, they want the brain information, but they're people that are also applying it, like gen ed teachers. We have a lot of general education teachers, pre-K all the way through high school. I, want, I would like to talk about that great discussion that we had last time you were in our office together about reading and how what we, a lot of us, I guess, would consider just simply an everyday activity that you don't think about very much or that that you've just kind of done for so long that you really have forgotten about it but you had so many incredible insights and and it was just this fascinating discussion about you just can't take something like that for granted because not everybody reads in the same way not everybody gets the same things out of it not everybody comes to it with the same types of um equipment really and approach exactly one of the things that we've we've kind of forgotten is that when we learn we actually learn in a series of steps that parallel the function of the receptors the eyes the ears that kind of thing all the way through the pathways of the brain to the cortex and what we've forgotten is that there's more than just the input and output of that system and so the way we teach reading um, today is let me take it as a task reading as an adult here's where the language assumptions come in and I want you now to do a task analysis break it down so we break down reading into its parts from an adult language-based perspective which is it consists of words that you sound out with and have letters so we look at the letters in formations and then we put the sounds to it we name it and then that's called reading and we practice it with fluency that's a behaviorist model of task analysis. It comes out of the 1950s and 60s, which um, parents, my parents, for example, never had any of the alphabetic, phonic kinds of ways, approaches to reading. And the reason for that is because they were taught that reading names your thinking, and therefore reading is a language task. And when we developed the behaviorist model to basically teach all kids the same way, what came out of that was you break it down into its parts. So then we have the words, the letters, the sounds, that kind of thing. Well, there's a little bit of problem with that. One is the brain doesn't work that way. The brain is very synergistic, and information comes in, and it forms those patterns for oral fluency. But then what you have to do is you have to have enough thinking that you know what those patterns represent, and you have to be able to name what it is that you just saw on that page. So um, there's research out there from Harvard that says that dyslexia is an auditory processing problem. And what that means is that you can't take the sound and the sight, that's what the auditory is, pathway is two things, it's acoustic and visual, and you can't put it together necessarily to form a pattern. So we've literally taken some of the changes that we can do with pattern parts of the brain, okay, and we've actually taken that and said, okay, well then we'll practice more patterns. 
using the Western psych behavior as a model of practice. And what the brain research shows is that practicing actually disengages the brain. And actually, because you don't, you're not taking in new information. So what you end up doing is, I can have a child with Down syndrome, for example, a real example of a child with Down syndrome who could read a college-level book at second grade, would call it beautifully, say all, everything on the page, but she had no idea even how to ask to go to the bathroom in real life. And that's probably an extreme example, but the majority of our students today think with a visual metacognition, and they don't have the acoustic ability to take and put the sound to what they see on the page. They're also coming into school with not the same levels of language, and so if you don't have the language that you can't see what's on the page and you haven't learned the patterns before, most of the college students, when I say to them, um, when did you learn to read, they'll say before they went to school. And that's not the case for the mass majority of kids that are going to school. So they don't have a full language, okay, they, to name what it is they see on the page. We then break the task down as if they were adults. We ignore the fact that kids don't acquire words, which they acquire is the patterns that form the concepts that they think with, and they think with a visual system, not with a sound-based system. So they don't hear an R, an S, a T. They don't hear those bits and pieces that we are naming as letters, that type of thing. So the result is that instead of increasing our literacy, we're decreasing our literacy. So what's different? I mean, are we really different types of learners than we used to be? Um, part of that is true too. Um, there's a, back in the 40s and 50s, um, as antibiotics became more um, used throughout our country, then kids would not die from an ear infection. And the result was that they would no longer have the infection, but the patterns that they were taking with the sound, okay, were not clear. Because when you get an infection, you have fluid in the ear. The ear fluid gets infected. The, you can clear up the infection with the antibiotic, but the fluid stays behind 8 to 12 weeks. And if you have that within the first couple years of development, we, there's actually American Pediatric Association back in the 80s made the connection between kids who had those kind of ear infections and the fact that they had then reading problems, writing problems, academic problems in third and fourth grade. Again, we ignored that. And we continue to teach with those sound patterns, assuming that this population coming through, in fact, could hear the sounds um, of the words on the page, and that would name their thinking, which is in sounds, and not in pictures, graphics, visuals, that type of thing. So our population has changed that way. From an anthropological standpoint, it's also changed. The population has changed because we don't have a need to name something that we haven't seen. So, and that's what explorers did, and that's how languages that have time-based properties like English and Russian and German and French, those languages, they all have a time component, an alphabetic, a sound-based reading component to them. All the other languages in the world do not. And so, basically, what you're looking at is also a very huge cultural difference and an anthropological difference in the sense that I don't have a need to basically name something that, like, explore, you know, and see it you know, that type of thing. The closest thing we do today probably would be space, something like that, where people haven't seen it, but they're exploring it. But in terms of every day, we're all gonna vertically stack. Where you're standing or sitting, somebody else is, is gonna be sitting or standing today. So we basically are using space and not time. And space is recorded through the visual system, not the t acoustic auditory system. And it's relational, it's not out of context. 
so it's not word-based. And so our thinking is different from a social standpoint, it's different from a cultural standpoint, and it's different from a neurobiological standpoint. And yet our practices are 50 years old and we're still using them. And when kids can't read, then what do we do? We give them more practice. And we know that you can train the brain at the sound to pattern level. What you can't do is train thinking. Thinking is actually acquired and it's acquired through layers of brain functions. So my personal opinion, about uh, dyslexia is that it's a cultural problem, it's an educational problem, and that we could probably, in my experience, working with individuals who have reading difficulties, get rid of that problem if we were to teach individuals differently. Well, how would this play out in uh, the K-12 system when students are learning how to read? Well, we do it with a language basis. There are a few people out there, a few teachers that have come to UP and have learned, and they're out there doing awesome things, um, including they start uh, a lesson with a story, an I story typically. They draw it in real time, and they say something like, uh, yesterday I went to the store, and they draw themselves going to the store, and then they, and the kids are all, they're just absolutely still. When they start drawing like that, the kids absolutely do not move. And they're watching, the kids are watching the point of the pencil. And the, and the teachers will say, you know, make pictures in your head while I'm telling the story, watch my mouth move, watch my hand move, giving them all those visual motor kinds of cues. And then they, they name it by writing on that story, the words. So they'll write, the t- teacher, I'll call myself Ms. R. Wood, so I put Ms. R. Wood, and then what I was doing, my actions, my objects, then where I did it, answer all the who, what, where, when, why, so it's really rich language. And then the kids are asked to tell their story about what they see to each other, peer kind of thing. Or they can do other things like be sent back to their their table with a pencil and paper and they draw their stories about something they did yesterday. And then we, so we are on the same page developmentally. And then we basically have them index those visually. That is put them into a space. We call it like a picture dictionary, a vocabulary dictionary where they can see the idea and put a picture that goes with it. Then they start writing with their things that they've put into those spaces. And the next thing you know, they're telling you what they wrote and their writing is up and their reading is up. And now they're starting to see patterns. So then they come back through and they say, oh, this is a different idea. This is a different letter. And, and the teacher will go, yeah, that's a T or that's an S, you know, that kind of thing. But they don't, they don't go the other direction. They don't go from part to whole. They go from whole to part. And language is the basis. In Finland and some of the Scandinavian countries, they do not break down the language until kids have acquired it. So they don't start doing the reading as a broken down process until kids are at least seven or eight. Okay. And then the other piece is that for Finland, they actually use a language-based approach. And their literacy level for reading and writing is very, very high. So with this uh, certificate, you're, you and Maria are working together um, to deliver the certificate. Is there, are there any special um, things that you're, you're paying attention to in the delivery of the content um, considering the actual content itself, or is there anything that you're paying attention to for the delivery? Yes. Um, one, one of the things that we know about learning is that you have to assign meaning to concepts. So I have a concept that's my own thinking, and it's unique to me because all of my experiences are unique, okay? And so I, you have told me something or I've read something, and then it's my turn to do something with it, so then I either have to write it, talk about it, do something with it. And then somebody who has more meaning about that topic has to assign meaning that come back to it and say, have you thought about such and such? Do you understand why? that takes place or yeah I saw you draw that cartoon but your people aren't facing 
one direction, so they're going to run into each other as they're walking from one frame to the other type of thing. So you give us some type of assignment of meaning. We know that when we assign meaning that way, what happens is that I take that input in, I organize this, my patterns again, it helps me scaffold my thinking, and sometimes it creates even a little stress, and then I get to jump to the next level because I can understand what I'm doing. That's conceptual learning. And so the real question for me is, how do I create that conceptual learning opportunity with refinement in a still recorded online version of the course in which I'm not there to assign meaning and, you know, we may have limited opportunities. So I'm thinking with the help of Maria, of course, and you, as I'm thinking that we're probably, I'm going to have to build in more scaffolds and more opportunities for individuals as they are learning to basically um, run what I call run the information back through their own learning system with language. So they'll draw it, they'll write it, they'll use it in an application, that type of thing. And um, we also talked about the fact that because we, majority of our learners today, even adults, are visual thinkers. They've got to be able to see my face when I am talking. They've got to be able to see me draw the concepts. They've got to be able to see the materials that are written, and they've got to be able to cross-reference those with any pictures like for the PowerPoint examples, that kind of thing. So it means multiple inputs to have maximum access for maximum integration of the concepts. I know we're excited about a a new capture um, add-on that Kaltura is bringing us um, that allows the the student to toggle between inputs. And so this is a case where we can have you, you know, under an Elmo actually physically writing so we can see your handwriting. We can have video of you. We can bring in the PowerPoint. So I know I'm I'm pretty excited about that new add-on. I've emailed recently to find out when we're actually going to physically get that add-on. Good. Um, so that way we can have that for you. Excellent. So that you can have that multiple input. So we're pretty excited about some of the things that we're going to be able to try out for the first Excellent. time. Because uh, I asked Maria about that today because I knew you'd mentioned that last spring and I thought, are we ready to go? Do we have this so we can do that multiple inputs? Because, you know, in reality, that's what learners do is they shift between they may all be sitting in the room together but they're shifting between what's in front of them bookwise what's on their device what the person's doing up at the front and they're shifting according to what they need and we've got to provide that same shift from a learning standpoint otherwise the brain's going to disengage and they'll just be going through the material online without necessarily learning conceptually and I don't well, and I then they can <laughs> they can rewatch a video yeah. from a different perspective. Exactly. So they can go back to the beginning and watch a different component of the video, exactly. especially if you have those multiple inputs. Exactly. Um, no, I'm I'm very excited about this collaboration with yourself in the School of Education, and um, excited about getting the certificate off the ground. Oh, excellent! Yeah, I am too. I am too. I just you know it, it's a different way of of providing education than I'm used to. And I want to make sure that we just maximize everything we know about learning in an online course. Well, you're definitely fearless <laughs> and willing to take on new challenges. Yes. And we love that um, in academic technology. Sure that's, how, that's how we learn. Yeah. You know, we try something that we don't know how to do it. And somebody gives us feedback and we move on. Well, I will definitely keep um, everybody up to speed um, as the certificate gets off the ground. And Excellent. thank you so much for thank visiting you. with us today. Excellent. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the UP Tech Talk podcast. 
Just a reminder that we post a new podcast every Friday morning, and you can find us at techtalk.up.edu. Thank you.